No, you tell it. No, you. I'm not telling it. You should totally tell it. <laughs> well, you should tell it. No, you tell it. No, You Tell It is a series that switches up the storytelling. So each performer writes a true life tale and then, switching with a partner, performs the other person's story, giving everyone involved the chance to share their own stories and experience someone else's. A simple neighborly gesture plus an ill-advised night of drinking leads to stalking, harassment, and an ever-escalating sense of danger in Courtney Francis Fallon's story, Wine Wednesday, read for us here by Gabriel Berezin. about over the last month between workshopping her story on the page and as you can see some of her her arts and craft work in the audience here which with the meaning will become much more clear as her story unfolds and you just seem to me from everything that you've talked about and from the different things that are going to be revealed this evening that you have a lot of a myriad of talents oh so yeah. i just wanted to know what you consider to be your strangest or most unusual special skill that you don't usually you know, maybe not, you know, it doesn't go on the resume or the back of the, the old school headshot so, or have the special skills in the background, but what is it that you are really proud of inside? When I was 19, I worked at a friend's parent's butcher shop at the week of Easter, and I have an uncanny ability to pull out, to guess the weight of lengths of sausage, fresh, <laughs> fresh and smoked, within a tenth of a pound. Oh. <laughs> Last answer I ever expected was, was sausage weight guessing. So I think that deserves an extra round of applause. But least likely to end up on my resume. Yeah. 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 Uh, so with that, we're going to hear Wine Wednesday, written by Courtney Francis Fallon and performed by Gabriel Bearson. Wine Wednesday. I've moved into a new apartment and need to endear myself to my neighbors immediately. It's February. I'll be 30 in June, and I want to have a big, huge birthday bash with a band and dancing and debauchery, and I hope to have this party in the back lot of our building requiring their permission. I plan to write nice new neighbor notes on pretty cards to butter them up while breaking the ice. February 15th. I finally have the time, but I left the note cards at work. Playing paper simply will not do. I'm not trying to make a. I'm trying to make a statement. Then I get the best idea ever. I'll make elementary school-style paper fortune tellers with silly predictions. Hilarious. <laughs> In case you aren't familiar with basic folding, you can turn a square of paper into a pyramid-like puppet. Pick a color, a number, and another number. Then boom, you find out if you'll marry a movie star or build a mansion. I carefully construct four perfect fortune tellers. The predictions are, one, you will get an awesome new neighbor. <laughs> Two, your new neighbor, Courtney, will lend you sugar or anything else you need. Three, it will be cold this week. It's February in Buffalo during a polar vortex. Four, this winter will drive you insane, but don't lose hope, you'll survive. Five, the Bills will win the Stanley Cup, and the Sabres will win Super Bowl 49. <laughs> Six, you're great. People like you. Good job. <laughs> Seven, 
you probably need to dance more. Eight, insert fortune here in bed. In the center of the fortune teller, which is typically blank, I introduce myself, invite them to stop by for a drink, and include my phone number in the unlikely event of an emergency. I'm giddy with my handiwork. They aren't just going to let me have the party, they'll come and bring friends, and it's going to be a motherfucking shit show! <laughs> a few hours after delivering the fortune tellers, I encounter a woman I haven't seen before in the parking lot. Her body language expresses... hatred. <laughs> I smile, she doesn't, and I mutely walk past as the guy next door joins her. I assume she's his girlfriend, and worry my fortune teller gave her the wrong impression. February 19th. I run into Guy next door and ask about her. She was his girlfriend, but they just broke up. He's in chiropractic school and she's studying Reiki in Canada, where she's from, and the distance is too hard. He's going to a bar around the corner. Wine Wednesday, he says. Four dollars a glass. Want to join? It's 10 p.m., my ideal bedtime, but the bar is only one-tenth of a mile away. It'll be fine if I only stay for one. But if a fortune teller that night existed, the first prediction would be obvious. Number one, you'll have multiple glasses of wine. <laughs> Does anyone ever just stay for one? <laughs> Meanwhile, nothing else that happened that night could have been predicted because the craziest nights never take place when expected. Not New Year's or when I'm feeling reckless, but when I'm dressed like a librarian and have nowhere to be or have somewhere to be in the morning. Number two, you will do cocaine. <laughs> Uppers aren't my thing. I don't need to be any more annoying than I already am. <laughs> but during our second round, he runs into two women he knows. He starts kissing one of them, while I focus on her butch buddy. They graciously offer us some blow, and we all snort lines in the bathroom like old friends. <laughs> Number three. You will try to lose your other virginity. Someone makes a beer run. <laughs> Someone makes a beer run before we all go back to my place. My date and I make out in the kitchen, and I beg her to let me eat her pussy. I've been messing around with females since high school, but haven't gone all the way. She declines because she doesn't want to take advantage of me. Number four. You will need to clean your upholstery. <laughs> we eventually go to the living room to retrieve her friend. Guy next door is completely naked, but she is fully clothed. He puts on severely ripped boxers, and as we're all walking back to the kitchen, my bedroom door slams with Guy next door and his lady inside. Number five, you will break your own house rules. I never smoke in my house, but the substances have me craving. It's cold as hell, so we light up in my kitchen while waiting for them. They soon join us, and we promise to party together again sometime before the women leave. Number six. You will have to show that no means no. The second they're gone, he wordlessly scoops me up, carries me to my room, throws me on the bed, and rips off my jeans and underpants in one swift tug. In a consensual scenario, that would have been impressive. My fly was secured. In sexy, I'm into being ravaged. But he was just naked with that other woman, and what makes him think he has permission? He climbs on top of me, pushes my shirt up, and kisses my exposed breast. 
He's a very large animal, and I don't want to provoke him. No, I say flatly, lying there like a dead fish. He tries to kiss me on the mouth, but I flop my face away and repeat, no. He kisses my neck despite more monotone nose. I'm mentally preparing to hit him with a lamp when he stands and starts putting on a condom. I sit up, put my hands over my vagina, look him in the eye, and repeat, no. Oh my god, you meant that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Astonishingly enough, he's genuinely surprised. February 20th. Work is tolerable until my nose starts running like a faucet, literally. I have terrible sinuses, but this is unreal. I can't wait to get home, but once there, I notice that someone appears to be staring at me from another car in the lot. I make a phone call and wait to leave the car. They eventually drive away. February 21st. I wake up with a swollen nose and a text message from no caller ID sent at 3.39 a.m. Thank you for the lovely fortune teller for my boyfriend. It was so kind of you to leave it on his door. We both read it together. I'm not sure if you're fully aware of his situation, but we'll be happy to discuss with you the next time I come over. Christ, on a stick! I want to tell her everything, but doubt she'll believe me. And what if he gets angry with me for exposing him? I hate being an accomplice to his deceit, but I respond as though I have no idea who she is. Good morning. It seems like my attempt to break the ice with my neighbors has backfired. I'm not sure which apartment your boyfriend lives in, but I made the same note for everyone in the building. If you feel like we need to talk, I'd be happy to meet. Seven hours later, she replies, if your attempt to break ice was in fact an honest attempt to build friendships, then the last text would not have been necessary. Your attempt had sexual innuendos, which now I understand is your personality or agenda. A true lady would never send a note like that. I would never claim to be a lady, but the fortune teller doesn't even register on my scale of bad behavior. <laughs> Maybe your artistic side is trying to shine through. If it's enemies you want to make, then girlfriend, you pick the wrong person. Do this with. <laughs> I'd love to tell her that she's hit the nail on the head. I want all the enemies I can get. Instead, I explain, I am an artist. I am not, however, looking for anything with anyone in my building. I don't shit where I sleep. Then I make a huge mistake and say, I've only seen two of the people from the building, and only in passing. Which was true when I made for the fortune tellers. But Wine Wednesday has changed everything. <laughs> I know you're an artist. I am a private investigator. Uh. I'm instantly being held hostage by my lies. I can't call bullshit and cite her Reiki study since I don't know who she is. Lying is for idiots. <laughs> As for trust, it's earned, not given away freely as you will learn in your short-lived life. What? Sorry, this has less to do with you than you know. That's why we should talk. A free spirit around a very deceptive person is not a good mix when they already have issues. Can I ask you some questions? You have to tell me who you are, I reply. 
<laughs> You're not in control of the conversation. I am. Don't piss me off. We met in the driveway. You know my number. Call me. Three minutes later, she writes, You're deceptive just like him. You know who I am, Courtney. You asked about me. You might be getting the brunt of something you might wish you never got into, just like his ex-wife explained to me. <laughs> she knows I asked about her? Ex-wife? I consult my co-workers on how to proceed, omitting the salacious details. My boss, who is also my best friend, is disgusted by this woman, and that this conversation is happening on the clock. <laughs> Tell her you're at work and you don't have time for this, and then put away your damn phone. Yeah. It's perfect. I'm at work. I don't have time for this. No problem. By dinner time, my nose is more swollen and irritated than any sinus infection I've ever experienced and running non-motherfucking stop. I spend the evening, the evening in pajamas icing my face, but I can't relax. I'm nervous she'll text again or that one of them will bang on my door. Saturday morning, I wake up looking like a monster. I'm pretty sure I'm having an allergic reaction to the cocaine. I've only tried coke once in college, and twice in South America. Each time left me sneezing for a week. I need medical intervention. My dad, a retired police officer, accompanies me to the emergency room. Naturally, I don't mention the coke. Later at the supermarket pharmacy, I hide my face behind sunglasses and a bag of frozen corn. A concerned man asks if I've been in a car accident. Yeah, but, uh, nothing serious. More lying! There's so much lying from this goddamn wine Wednesday! <laughs> I spend the day wallowing in misery. It's my 15th friendiversary with best friend boss, but instead of celebrating as planned, the highlight of my day is when I expel a giant ball of fibrous phlegm. It's like the coke coagulated in my sinuses. <laughs> the next day, I feel worse, and so she accompanies me to the ER. I'm put on steroids. <coughs> Girlfriend writes again on March 4th. I confess my birthday motives, promise that the sugar I offered isn't an innuendo, and explain your fortune here in bed is related to the old fortune cookie joke. I think I'm free until my phone rings in the afternoon of March 14th, and it's no caller ID again. Hello, is this Courtney? Who is this? Is this Courtney? Yes. This is your neighbor's girlfriend. You like hooking up with people's boyfriends, huh? What are you talking about? My boyfriend told me that you two messed around. That's impossible because that never happened. The next time I see you, I'm going to rip your face off. <laughs> She continues threatening me, but I interrupt to say, please don't make me explain why I'm not attracted to your boyfriend. He tried to hook up with me, but I wasn't into it. Don't call me anymore. I'm shaking. But my coworkers say I sounded calm. It's been three weeks of this, but I haven't even considered telling guy next door to get his girlfriend off my back. I've been as afraid of rattling on her as I am of narking on him because they know where I live and what car I drive. But this is too much. After hanging up, I send a message to the two of them together to say nothing has happened between me and him, which is technically true. I also warn that I'll, con that I'll contact the police if I hear from her again. She sends me a separate message. You can have him and his problems. I'm done with this BS. 
You won't hear from me again. Good luck. I hope this is true. <laughs> but I'm terrified she's going to jump out and shit me. <laughs> I happen to be going out of town for the weekend, but I have to stop home at first. I search for her car, then park across the street, and run to the little-used front entrance. I bring along spray paint in lieu of pepper spray, just in case. <laughs> and I have it in hand when I return on Monday. I take comfort in the fact that she probably won't burn the house down, but I remain anxious about bodily harm and property damage for weeks. April 4th. She writes to ask if Guy Next Door has contacted me. Thankfully, he hasn't. I haven't even seen him. But I remind her that I'll call the police if I hear from her again. Things get predictably ugly. She brings up some risque art for my website and basically calls me a porn star. I worried it would create trouble for me someday, but never could have dreamed of this. A few days later, my landlady calls. Guy next door wants out of his lease. Girlfriend doesn't want him living near me. I'm ecstatic. Five weeks go by without a word, and then May 9th, one word. Whore. Time to call the police. I want to be left alone. I speak with the detective who hints there isn't much she can do yet. What's her surname, she asks. I don't know, but I took a picture of her license plate. She's Canadian. Oh, well, that changes everything. If she's Canadian, we can just use her plates to keep her out of the country. Problem solved. <laughs> Despite 11 weeks of torment, I'm apprehensive. I love America. I don't want to take it away from her. The detective senses this. How about I call her and tell her that I wanted to press charges, which would ban her from the U.S., but that you talk me out of it. That way you're the good guy, I'm the bad guy. Works like a charm. I never hear from either of them again. Guy next door moves out shortly after. The new neighbors are female. My landlady, my landlady declares that men are too much trouble. I have my birthday party at a bar and invite all of my neighbors None of them come. <laughs> After another failed coupling spawned in the dumpster fire, otherwise known as Tinder, Gabriel Barazin recalls his first sexual experience in all its fumbling teenage glory. Switching it up, here is Sexaholism, written by Gabe and read by Courtney Francis Fallon. Last story, Switching It Up, was written by Gabriel. I like saying it's your literary name. Yes, indeed. Gabriel. Uh, so, in the beginning, I said that part of the Know You Tell It process is that we seek out for storytellers. A quick translation of that is that I, there's a lot of stalking. I stalk people. I try really hard to put together interesting groups of people that'll kind of bounce off each other. I think I've probably been stalking Gabe longer than anybody else, uh, considering we met about a decade ago at a In Your Underpants party. Pajama party? Yeah. Underpants pajama party? I don't know. There was just random. There were boas and yep. Christmas lights. and You were in your underpants? I was in my underpants. We were in our underpants, and now we're here. So, uh, but it took me a few a few stalks to get you here. So what, what was it that finally got you to come to Know You Tell It, and uh, since your background is more as a musician, what was the writing and performing process? How's it been, how's it been different? Uh, how's it been different? There's nothing to hide behind. This is terrifying. I hate it. I'm having a terrible time. Put it out! Put it out! 
Uh, no, I think it's that um, this is the scariest form of performance I could ever imagine. Because in music, you can hide behind music and, you know, whoops, I sang the wrong thing, play the guitar, or the drummer, do something. So here is it's very naked, and I'm really horrified about all this. <laughs> She ran off to my bathroom for what I assume was a last-minute pre-sex check. <laughs> I met Lori in the dumpster fire commonly known as Tinder, the app that turns dating into a business development sales job. Cold calling, followed by a possible commitment, and then, more often than not, rejection and isolation. It also feels like an online drug clinic, Seemingly lethal doses of the highly addictive bonding chemical, oxytocin, which if suddenly discontinued, causes debilitating withdrawal symptoms. After a semi-charming first date, Lori wanted to skip the restaurant for date two. Through a series of rapid-fire text messages, we formed a plan. She'd bring an overnight bag stuffed with a change of clothes, a toothbrush, and a bottle of wine. This exchange was littered with reminders about how excited she was for sex. I responded in kind, but I felt uneasy. It had been six months since my last relationship, and I hadn't slept with anyone since. I have learned in my 25 years of non-virginity that I often confuse sex for love, especially in the beginning. In the age of internet dating, sex is a transaction. To remain that way, both parties have to feign indifference. I won't pretend I haven't been okay with some meaningless sex in the past. I have. But as I get older, it's getting increasingly difficult to pretend I don't get attached. I do. I'm not sure if we're all just watching too much porn, but Lori had sex like she was in front of a camera. I'm not sure we had one moment of actual connection, or at least eye contact. The only part I enjoyed was falling asleep to a movie with her head on my chest. I'm not sure I even liked this person, but that didn't stop me from getting tricked by the oxytocin. <laughs> the clarity of hindsight, the crack in my facade was already visible by morning. She was growing cold, which paradoxically intensified my affection. As she was getting dressed, I stood behind her and wrapped my arms around her waist. She stiffened, but I didn't notice. I continued flirting with her like we were in a committed relationship. We commuted together to Midtown, and I joked that we should make out like animals at Grand Central. <laughs> I think I was joking, but in retrospect, I'm shocked to hear what came out of my mouth. She not only found this unfunny, she looked genuinely horrified. But her discomfort still didn't register. My modern chill guy act officially crumbled. I tried to kiss her once more before we split. She reluctantly accommodated and speed walked away. I texted her a number of times that day and felt no response and received no response. Panic and isolation growing, I spent the next two days feeling <coughs> desperate, sending established inside jokes, gifts, memes, pictures, and conversation starters. <laughs> but I landed in the world of the one word reply. As obsession took over, 
I confronted her lack of attention head on, telling her that I saw the writing on the wall, or some such dramatic thing. <laughs> Sensing this was an easy out, and assuming that my unbearable clinginess would only get worse, she ended it quickly, about 72 hours after the sleepover. After the last text arrived, I immediately deleted the text exchange, as if it would erase the whole experience. I mumbled to myself, no sex, never again. <laughs> well, okay, never Tinder at least. Forty years old, having joyless sex with a stranger. How did I get here? My mind wandered back to where it really started. My rookie intercourse year. 1993. <laughs> I walked outside between classes, sitting on a grassy knoll, eating lunch with a dozen high school sophomores about 24 years and seven months earlier, discussing our favorite topic, fornication. The whole group spoke simultaneously, as if in teenage tongues, a single cacophony combining queries and theories, from anatomy and pregnancy to logistics and technique. So wait. Where does the pee come out? I'm sorry, I don't understand the whole locations. <laughs> and, okay, when you ejaculate, how does your body switch the pipes from pee to semen? <laughs> this still feels like a magic trick to me, by the way. <laughs> And Dana, a girl I had known since we were infants, asked my favorite. I got one. How do you get the condom over the balls? <laughs> Everyone glanced at each other to confirm they heard it right. Then a burst of laughter followed. Every capillary in Dana's face exploded at once. The balls never really entered the equation, Dana. <laughs> I replied, proud of my knowledge. <laughs> Lucy was sitting to my right, and we held hands throughout lunch. It was a little over a year since we started going out. We were first loves for each other. First I love you. First girl I ever saw naked in real life. The first girl I ever serenaded with a terrible Eric Clapton song. And fortunately the last. <laughs> we were obsessed with each other. We were best friends. I hated being away from her. She was beautiful, highly intelligent, a competitive ice skater, and probably the world's highest strung person. In the smartphone era, all her texts would be in caps and end exclamation points. When she was excited about something, the pitch of her voice rose so high, it became nearly inaudible. Circumstances were inevitably leading to what I believed would be the greatest erotic experience of my life. <laughs> Lucy and I tried all the other sex stuffs and seemed to enjoy them. Actual intercourse came up a number of times, and while I wouldn't say we were equally enthusiastic, she was definitely warming to the idea. Lucy and I would be the first of our sets of friends to have sex, and the date and time of this historic moment were coming into focus. Her parents would be out of town for a weekend getaway, and her younger brother and sister were staying at her grandparents' house. The following plan was formed on the prior Monday. I was to leave an hour buffer for her parents' departure. I'd tell my folks I was staying at my friend Brian's house, 
and ride my bike over to Lucy's, arriving at approximately 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. <laughs> this was all set to happen on a Saturday, which meant, good Christ, I had six excruciating days of waiting. In 15-year-old virgin space-time, that's the equivalent of traveling to the moon. <laughs> to make matters worse, there was a communal anticipation of it. It's not like we were a famous couple, but we were the longest tenured. I never heard what Lucy and her friends discussed, but my experience included an endless barrage of sex advice from virgins. <laughs> With four Earth days remaining until penetration, my phone rang off the hook. I picked it up in the kitchen. It was Mike again, a charter member of my high school friend posse. He was quizzing me about condoms. Do you think you'd prefer Durex or Trojan? Or maybe those lambskin things? Are those even hygienic? I hung up on him. <laughs> the phone rang again almost immediately. I was hesitant, but in those days, no one let the phone ring without picking it up. Hello? Three days to go, you ready? Shut up, Brian, you're overhyping it. A cheerier voice answered, Hello? Mom, I got it. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Berenson. Who's that? Is that Mike? Hi, Mike. No, Mrs. B, it's Brian. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, Brian. Mike's been calling all night. I just figured it was him again. No problem. Exciting stuff going on. Did Gabe tell you the big news? Oh what big news? Shut up, Brian. It's no big deal, Mom. Well, don't be shy. What is it, honey? I aced my bio test today. That is big news. That's great. Why didn't you tell me before? Because I ace all my bio tests. No, you don't. Okay, I'll leave you boys to it. Okay, thanks, Mom. Bye, Mrs. B. Mom? Mom, are you still on the line? I snuck over to the entrance of the living room where she had definitely hung up the phone and returned to reading her book. I returned to the kitchen, muffling the receiver. Jesus, dude, you dick. <laughs> what? The most important night of your life is coming up. Don't you think your mom should know? <laughs> totally. Why don't you just tell her when you call back in five minutes? So have you thought about which positions you'll try first? <laughs> no. Why not? So many to choose from. I think you gotta start doggy. <laughs> right. Doggy. I'll just ask her if she wants to start with doggy. <laughs> Thanks for calling. This will help. <laughs> Saturday finally arrived, and Lucy and I never discussed sex positions. Our steamy conversations revolved solely around birth control, but the underlying energies were palpably different. She was neurotic, paranoid, and terrified of getting pregnant or caught. I was beyond excited, racked with performance anxiety butterflies, and obsessed with a singular goal, having sex with her. I loved Lucy in that way that's unique to being 15. Pure, sweet, infatuated, unfettered. Nothing else mattered. I have to admit, I was a lapdog. I basically did anything she said. Which is relevant because I think for most girls about to lose their virginity, things have to be very just so. The amount of foreplay, and God, I must have been bad at foreplay. The lighting, we should barely be able to see each other. The shades, they must be drawn. We are to make certain noises. 
Not those noises. Those are the wrong noises. Not too loud, the neighbors. We kiss these parts. No, not there. Not yet. As the sacred time approached, we clinically applied the condom like we had learned in life skills class. <laughs> Check that. We clinically applied two condoms. I don't remember putting two condoms on the life skills banana. Well, I don't care. We can't be too careful. And guess what? I have the spermicidal lubricant. As if I'd be excited about this. Her intense preparation seemed to be her favorite part of the whole experience. <laughs> the lubricant smelled like death, and wearing two condoms isn't exactly how I drew this up, but I would have worn a full body condom if it meant sex. <laughs> My body was on fire from the moment it started. I think it hurt a little for her, so I tried not to move. I found myself asking if I should stop a lot. No, I don't know. No, just keep going. Just go. <laughs> Are you sure? Yep, you're doing great. <laughs> she relaxed a little bit, and the initial wince turned palpably into what looked like an expression of possibly pleasure? The truth is I have no way to confirm this as I could barely see straight, distracted by the ceaseless inner chatter. Holy shit. We're having sex. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. This is happening. Holy shit. Holy shit. I'm totally doing this. Oh my god, it's as good as I imagined. Holy shit. I can't wait to tell Brian. <laughs> Mike won't even believe. Uh oh. Uh oh. Damn it. This is over. I apologized as it was happening. She laughed incredulously. Is that it? <laughs> yup. Lacing my hands behind my back <laughs> like the proud non virgin I just became. Then, in an instant, the serotonin rush was replaced by a flood of cortisol when I looked down expecting to see two condoms still on. But there weren't two condoms. In fact, there wasn't one condom still on. Somehow, both of them were gone. The unfortunate physics of the ill-advised double condom scenario is that during the act of sex, the top one inexplicably pulls its cohort right off. Lucy... I have some bad news. Oh my god, what? What? What happened? Did the condom break? Well, no. I don't think so, at least. You don't think so? Well, look! Her voice is screeching now. So, yeah. That's the thing. I can't... I can't seem to find them. She laughed maniacally. Cave? Where exactly did they go exactly? <laughs> moment to find a delicate way to pose the next theory. I think they're inside you. The irony, even that that age wasn't lost on me, that her additional precautions created the problem. She disappeared in a flash to the bathroom to fish out the condoms, and for lack of a, a better phrasing, flush out the offending materials. She returned to the bedroom muttering under her breath, Furious, I think, at the very existence of sex. 
Never. Never again. Never again. I didn't even enjoy it. What's the big deal? <laughs> that last part hurt my feelings a bit. <laughs> Without the knowledge of ovulation timing within a menstrual cycle, I fumbled through attempts at quelling her pregnancy fears. As she geared up to yell at me for unintentionally cramming two condoms inside her, we both froze. A deeper fear took root as the headlights bounced off her bedroom walls, which meant without a doubt that whatever car was projecting them was slowing down and taking a measured left turn into the gravel driveway. She let out a yell, Ah! Holy shit! Then, in a panicked whisper, I it's wrong! She dragged me downstairs, or maybe carried me with superhuman panic strength, <laughs> into the boiler room of her parents' basement and hid me for a harrowing five minutes. I stood in my boxer shorts and held my clothes, shaking, trying not to breathe. I heard her whip down the stairs and open the door of the tiny dank room in a much better mood. Immaculately dressed with her hair in a terribly cute ponytail, she confirmed, it was just the cleaning lady. God, you look so stressed out, what's wrong? Some combination of surviving the parent scare and looking at my bone white face and shivering body seemed to erase the fear that the miracle of life may have already started its journey inside her. <laughs> the second time we slept together was about a month later. A more mutually enjoyable and far less memorable experience. What followed was a good-natured and deeply loving sex life. After a number of attempts, we broke up for the last time our freshman year in college. But we faced the future optimistic that our relationships would be as fulfilling and intimate, vulnerable and titillating, erotic and expressive as the one we shared together. That we'd be cared for, supported, and understood by future lovers. I couldn't have seen this 2017 current reality coming. I never imagined sex would feel so pathological. But that's why we're all here, right? Anyway, that's my story. And forgive me, this is my first meeting, so I'm not used to or comfortable with the protocol, but I was supposed to start by introducing myself, right? Okay, well, I guess I'll end by introducing myself. My name's Gabe, and I'm a sex addict. <laughs> that's it thanks for joining us for this installment of No, You Tell It visit us on the web at knowyoutellit.com